Professor Martin Lokshin, Shat and Midrash Halakha. Welcome everyone. It is a uh, great honor to be speaking to, uh, to a learned crowd like this uh, today. Um, and I'm going to be talking about some uh, difficult, uh, difficult issues. Uh, a number of you might know that I'm very interested in the tension between Shat and Drash, what caused various Jews at, at various points in Jewish history to try to take an interest in the simple, plain meaning of the biblical text, the pshat, when we have had a, uh, a history of interpretation of Tanakh that goes back very far and that is not necessarily or always or even often a pshat kind of interpretation. So what do you do about the tension that exists between pshat and uh, midrash? And as, I, as it is uh, traditional, before I talk about what it is that I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about what it is that I'm not going to talk about. So, so I'm not going to talk about the easier part of the issue. The easier part of the issue is when you have tension about something, about a verse that is not related to halakha. For example, right in the beginning of the Torah, you have uh, on the uh, fourth day of creation, uh, God makes... God makes the two great lights. And then they say, and then the verse goes on and says, the great light which shines during the day and the lesser light that shines at night. And so, wait a second, in the beginning of the verse it said the two great lights, and then after that it says the great light and the lesser light. How do we solve this? So the, there, everyone knows the famous Midrash about this, that in the beginning the sun and the moon were actually of equal status, uh, but then uh, the moon sinned and it, its status was uh, was reduced, and, and, and that's why in the beginning there were two great lights, and after that there was a great one and a not so great one, a lesser one, and Many of us, reading the verse, say, well, there are two great lights in relationship to all the other, in, in comparison, great is a relative term, and something can be great and not be great at the same time. It's great in relationship to the things that are smaller, and, and it's not great in relationship to the things that are larger. So a number of uh, medieval Jewish commentators uh, offered this pshat interpretation, but this isn't the really difficult part of the issue of Pshat and Drash. Because you can say that that Midrash, and that's, I think, the most reasonable thing to do is to say that Midrash has a, has a message to it that isn't necessarily a description of a historical event, that actually there were, the sun and the moon were physically of equal size and equal importance at one point in history, and then one of them was reduced. But there, there is a lesson, and, and, and there have been some beautiful explanations over the years about what the lesson would be from something like that. So that's an easy form of tension of Pshat and Midrash. There are other forms of tension of Midrash, uh, of Pshat and Midrash, again, not the subject of this, uh, of this shiur, like the Midrash that says that, uh, that Yitzchak was 37 years old when Akedat Yitzchak took place. So the great uh, Torah commentator from the 12th century, uh, Abraham Ibn Ezra, wrote in his commentary a phrase that uh, that, that uh, he made famous that he wrote a number of times in his uh, in his uh, commentary. He wrote, "Im Kabbalah nekabel." You know, if 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 this is a tradition that is uh, obligatory. To, to say that this is this is one of the ikareim, one of the principles of uh, faith of Judaism, to believe this midrash. Okay, then I accept it. However, if you ask me, if I'm looking at the chumash, uh, it doesn't look to me like he's 37 years old, and it looks to me like he's younger, and he offers some textual proofs. There also. The life of a person as a, there is a big difference, of course, between saying that uh, Yitzhak was a uh, teenager or a preteen and saying that, that, that he was 37 years old at the time and your understanding of the story. But in our observance of Judaism, nothing particularly changes. The issue is so much more difficult when you deal with texts that have to do with behavior, with halacha. And when you see that the Midrash Halacha, that the way in which the rabbis understood the text of the Torah leads to a specific halachic conclusion, 
and you take a look at the verse and you say, well, you know, it doesn't just look that way to me on the pshat level, and how am I going to deal with this tension between the pshat and uh, and what the rabbi said, and uh, which is the obligatory halacha. And again, the last thing that I'm going to talk about to say that I'm not going to talk about it, I'm not going to talk about the easier examples where there isn't contradiction between the the pshat and uh, and, and and the uh, and the halacha, but they're just different from each other. For example, you could believe that the pshat of the verse lo tevashel gedi b'chalev imo do not boil a kid in its mother's milk. You could believe that the pshat is unconnected with basar b'chalav, but it doesn't co- contradict the rules of Basar B'chalav. You could say that it could be talking about, like the Rambam says, that, that there are uh, two out of the three times that that line appears in the Torah. It appears as a continuation of the, uh, of the verse. You should bring the first fruits of your land to the, to the uh, temple of the Kodesh Baruch Hu. And then, And the Rambam, using the great skills of a, uh, of a Pashtana and of a biblical scholar, says, you know, I've searched through documents about the way in which the idolaters uh, worshipped uh, their gods back in antiquity, and I didn't find this anywhere, but I would guess that some idolaters of antiquity, when they would have a festival of first fruits for their gods, they used to, as part of this festival, they would uh, boil a kid in its mother's milk. And then the Torah says that when you have a festival of first fruits for the Lord your God, don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. Okay, so that's that's different than the halachic understanding, but it isn't contradictory to the halachic uh, understanding. They're, you know, they're they're parallel to each other, uh, parallel understandings, and you can say, especially if you believe, as most of us believe, both religious Jews and students of literature in general tend to 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 believe that uh, a text can have more than one level of meaning to it. And so, you know, on, on a pshat level, the text can mean this. And on the uh, Midrash Halacha level, there is also uh, a message about uh, about kashrut, about basar v'chalav. And so that isn't the... Uh, I don't think that's the most difficult part of the, uh, uh, of the issue. And I am... Uh, Throwing caution to the wind, and today I am talking about the most difficult part of the issue, which is when a Pashtan, when somebody who's interested in the Pshat, meaning of the biblical text, looks at the biblical text and says, it seems to say X. And then the Pashtan looks at the Halakha, and the Halakha says minus X. It says the precise opposite what do you do in a situation like that? How do you try to resolve the tension between the reading that you think is pshat and the reading that the halacha uh, tells you uh, when when they appear to be in uh, to, to be in contradiction? Uh, so I, I'm just going to read through with you a number of texts. I hope everyone has a, a copy of the handout. Uh, which will demonstrate a number of approaches that our great rabbis have taken over the ages to try to deal with this, uh, to try to deal with this problem. Uh, many of the texts will be dealing with one specific example here from uh, Parsha Daimor, from Vayikra uh, Kafalaf, uh, Leviticus chapter 21. But the uh, the last approach that uh, that I'll be looking at today, I couldn't. Uh, demonstrate that approach with this example, so we'll skip over to a different example when we get towards the end of the shiur. Okay, so to uh, to start by just reading the biblical text. Okay, you have the English uh, translation there, and I apologize. I 
for those of you who create uh, uh, handouts, you know that the Hebrew letters sometimes just have a mind of their own and they move in the English direction when you do this. It only happened with one word on the handout of the third line here of the English. You have the word. That word is supposed to be she'ero, not verosh. It's supposed to read shin alef reish bab. All the other Hebrew, uh, I think, as I was reading it through, that's, that's the only one that I missed. I apologize for that. So... Here is the rule that you are not, uh, that a Kohen is not supposed to, uh, lehitama, is not supposed to become, uh, impure, not supposed to go to the, uh, come into contact with a dead body, not supposed to go to a funeral, except for a specific list of relatives. And, uh, who are, uh, how many relatives are there on that list? Anybody know? I think I heard six, and I think I heard seven. So that really is the question. Is it six or is it seven? Precisely the question that we have here. And uh, so, okay, as we count them up, now, of course, the translation that I gave here, you know, I, I have to admit I just pulled this translation off the web, and uh, uh, you can argue with the uh, translation. Um, there are only six that are that are listed here according to this translation: mother, father, son, daughter, brother, or sister. Uh, pardon me, virgin sister. Okay, we'll get back to that uh, to that to that issue. Uh, incidentally, for for those of you who uh, who are interested in the question, the, the, although the the text only says la tula, if you look in in uh, in the halachic literature, uh, Kohen does go uh, these days to the uh, to the uh, pardon me to the funeral of his uh, uh, of his married sister. Uh, also, uh, despite the, uh, the, the it's a Xerah Takana that, uh, that that took place later in history, but yes, at this point, it's being described only as Achotov uh, Tula. Pasuk Dalad here, verse four, is an extremely difficult verse. Uh, but the simplest understanding here, I'm not saying that it's necessarily the uh, uh, the one that one has to accept, but the simplest understanding is uh, a Baal, a husband, should not uh, defile himself by going to his wife's funeral. And uh, a number of people understood the verse that way. And the problem with that is that we know that halachically speaking, we know from reading the Gemara, we know from Midrash Halacha that a man, a Kohen is supposed to go to his wife's funeral. And in fact, if a Kohen says that he does not want to go to his wife's funeral, the Halacha says, mitamin oto be'al korcho. You know, you, you pick him up and you put him into the cemetery, you make him tamay against his own will. So anybody who says, I wish to follow my understanding of Pasuk Dalad here, I want to, uh, I think Pasuk Dalad means here that a Kohen should not go to his wife's funeral. Any Kohen who says that, we don't listen to that person, and metamin oto ba'al korcho. Um, where does this come from? So it comes from, uh, the, the, there are many old sources, but here's one of the old sources on the subject, uh, text number two, uh, the Gemara in uh, Yivamot, Minalan, uh, where, where does this halacha come from? Uh, how do we know that a husband the, does go to his wife's funeral? Because the word she'ero, the one that uh, came in the wrong order in the English in the third line there, uh, the, the one in Pasuk, in the she'ero, which we were understanding, this translation was understanding she'ero as a general term for a relative. And there's, there's a list. He could only go to the funeral of a close relative of a she'er. And then there's an explanation of six examples of what constitutes a she'er. However, the Gemara is suggesting that she'ero uh, means his wife. But the Gemara realizes, well, but what about Pasuk Dalad there? Uchtiv lo yitama ba'al ba'amav lehechalo. 
And verse 4, though, seems to mean that a husband shouldn't go to his wife's funeral. So the uh, harmonization suggested by the Gemara is, Yesh ba'al she mitameh, v'yesh ba'al she'ein mitameh. Ha'ketzad, mitamehu le'ishto k'shera, ve'eno mitameh le'ishto psula. It depends. If it's a woman that he should have been married uh, to in the first place, then uh, uh, he he goes to her fu- uh, to her funeral. But if he's, let's say, that he was a Kohen who married a divorcee, and and uh, Kohen is not allowed to marry a divorcee, so it, when if she passes away, he does not go to her funeral. Although uh, halachically speaking, we say kiddushin tofsim that the, the, the uh, a marriage is contracted uh, between a Kohen and, uh, and a, uh, a divorced woman. It, it's uh, it's for Forbidden. It's against halacha, but it, uh, we have some kiddushin that are forbidden and that, after the fact, are tofsin, and some that are not tofsin that, that don't work uh, if, if you break the halacha. This is in the lesser category of, uh, of uh, kiddushin tofsin. Um, so that's the uh, that's the harmonization suggested by the Gemara, and that's the and that's the halacha. That a Kohen does go to his uh, wife's funeral as long as it is the, a wife that he uh, should have been married to, according to Halacha, and that's the uh, that is the harmonization that is uh, suggested here. Uh, on the pshat level, this is very difficult uh, to say that she'er means wife, as the uh, as the Gemara uh, says here. Uh, I, I would say that, of course, the the biggest problem. In saying that she'er means uh, means wife is a verse, another verse in Vayikra that says ish ish al kol she'er besaro lo tikrevu legalot erva. Don't ever go near your she'er to uh, have sexual relations with your she'er. The, the whole world is in terrible problems if uh, if she'er means wife. So so. <laughs> So, so it's hard to say on the shot level that that is uh, that that is what it uh, what it means. So there's the problem. We've got the verse here, which see, we've got the verses here, which seem to suggest that there are six relatives, and, and and it seems to be suggesting that the wife is in the category of somebody who the kohen will not go to her funeral. And we have the halacha saying, no, we're going to interpret the text. Uh, uh, in this way. Okay, so now we'll just go through a number of commentators and see how a number of commentators deal with this uh, tension. So the first one is uh, the greatest of, uh, of our uh, Bible commentators over the years, uh, Rashi. Um, and <clears throat> let me let me tell you for those of you who follow the English translation of the Rashi, I just I just lifted this again. I lifted this English translation from the web from uh, Chabad as a website where you can find the uh, an English translation of Rashi. I don't know that I agree with this translation, but it it, it it doesn't really matter all that much whether whether I agree with the translation or not. But there's really only one point uh, that that I want to make about uh, Rashi's uh, approach here, which. Uh, uh, We'll see how many of you uh, notice this. I just read through uh, Rashi here. So Rashi says, Ki im ain't she'ero ela ishto. When it says she'ero, it means that a man goes to his, uh, a kohen, sorry, goes to his wife's funeral, because that's what she'er means. But what about the next verse? Lo yitama ba'al be'amad lehecha lo, lo yitama li'ishto psula shehu muchulal ba'oda imo. He shouldn't make himself tamay if it is a wife that uh, sort of desecrated him when, when he was married to her, that, that because he shouldn't have been married to her in the first place. Okay, this is very uh, complicated, uh, this uh, uh, Rashi's uh, understanding here. We can walk through it phrase by phrase if anybody is really uh, interested, but there's really just one phrase here that really interests me. Anybody want to guess what phrase here in Rashi really interests me? I'm sorry? 
the chaim shuto shel mikra. Here, you want to know what the pshat is? Here is the pshat. I'm going to walk you through here, and here is the pshat. So, it's very interesting what Rashi understands as being pshat. Rashi is using the term pshat in a way that I think is, uh, is, is different from the way that other people often use the word pshat. But there, there's an assumption of Rashi, and I, I totally understand, and on a certain level, I totally agree, of course, with Rashi's assumption, which is that Chazal are right. You know, if Chazal say that, that a Kohen goes to his wife's funeral, then they are... Th- th- that's one of the facts that I have about this verse. It has to mean that, because that's what halacha is. Halacha is that a Kohen goes to his wife's funeral, and, 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 and that's what this section is talking about. And so now, I just have to walk you through the words. That's what pshat is. It's walking you through the words in their context, phrase by phrase, in order to show you how you arrive at that conclusion. Is pshat all... Uh, it's hard to say that this is the simplest uh, explanation of the text. What Rashi, uh, uh, what, what Rashi is uh, suggesting here, uh, but you know, defining what pshat is uh, is uh, is uh, very difficult. Uh, they, uh, I learned from uh, my teacher Nachama Leibovich Zichronali uh, Bracha, who said that the only good definition of the difference between pshat and drash is pshat ze masha ani omer ve drash ze masha cherim omrim that's a you know that's a, that's a, that, 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 so so, so uh, you know i'd like to believe that there is uh, that there is something more than that in the difference between pshat and drash i heard uh, recently about an interesting dispute uh, 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 professor uriel simon who's one of my uh, uh, heroes in the field of uh, of study of, uh, of biblical commentaries uh, recently wrote a, uh, a a wonderful new book about uh, about ibn Ezra, uh, ozen milin milin tivchan it's the name of the book uh, just a, a, a fantastic explanation of ibn Ezra. Uh, Derech, um, and he talks a lot about Ibn Ezra's attitude to Pshat, and a, a, another professor of Bible here in this country, Professor Sarah Yefet. I wasn't there when this took place, but I, a number of people were there at the launch of this book. And when uh, I was told that uh, Professor Yefet got up and said, I don't think that Ibn Ezra has anything to do with Pshat, and everybody was just shocked that she said this. And she, she said, you know, he believed in uh, in uh, Neoplatonic philosophy and in astrology and in things like that, and he kept finding these things in the uh, uh, in the Bible when he uh, when he wrote his Bible commentary. He was uh, he, he was finding things that were related to Neoplatonic uh, uh, philosophy and to astrology, and that's not shot. So uh, so, but we we often assume that when I bring my mind to the study of a biblical text, I am bringing like, my understanding of what truth is to the understanding of the biblical text. And, you know, as a religious Jew, I'm not going to interpret the biblical text as being against truth. And if Ibn Ezra felt that truth is found partially through the study of astrology, astrology and partially through the study of Neoplatonic philosophy, then he's going to find that there. And, and that's going to be shot for him. Because that, that's, that's part of, part of truth. Um, and, and that's the true explanation of the biblical text. So Rashi... Rashi does not bring either Neoplatonic philosophy or astrology to the study of the Bible, but he does bring halacha and Gemara to the study of the Bible. And since the halacha says that a Kohen goes to his wife's funeral, then Rashi writes, this is Chaim Shuto Shel Mikra. Let me walk you through the phrases one at a time in order to show you how you can get this uh, this. Uh, text to work. Um, flipping over the page, we go to Ibn Ezra's uh, commentary. Yeah. 
כאם לשערו הקרוב אליו. היה נראה לנו כי פירושו כמו איש איש על כל שער בשרו שם כלל. It had seemed to us. I once got into a long discussion with a uh, colleague of mine about a, uh, a question. There are many people who know Hebrew uh, better than I in this uh, room here, and if anybody wishes to express a, an opinion between two ways of translating this uh, phrase. I, I translated it here. It had seemed to us. It used to seem uh, to us. It also is theoretically possible to translate this as It would seem to us as a kind of subjunctive instead of a uh, instead of a past tense. Not it used to seem to us the following, but then I read Chazal and I stopped reading it that way. Or it could mean it would mean the following were it not for Chazal. There's a, there's a little bit of a nuance of difference between those two understandings, and in my understanding. In medieval Hebrew, that phrase could, it could be translated in either way, and I think that my translation is... Uh, I like my translation better, but uh, if somebody wishes to see this as subjunctive, that's fine too. Haya nireh lanu, ki perusho kamo ishi shall call she'er b'saro. You know, I used to look at this and say that she'er just is a general term for relative. V'achar kach perat. And then... It listed some examples. Aviv, Imo, etc. Six examples. V'ta'am ba'al be'amav, and the meaning of, uh, of uh, verse 4, Shelo yitama ha'ba'al bi'ishto, that a Kohen should not go to his wife's funeral. V'cha'asher ra'inu, she'etiku rabotenu ki yitama li'ishto, when I saw that the rabbis passed on the tradition that... Uh, that a Kohen does go to his wife's funeral, the Samu She'ero Kederach Asmachta, and they, they interpreted She'er uh, as a mnemonic device to remind you of this law. V'amru ki perush ba'al gadosha ha'am birshuto k'mo ba'alav e'nimo, and they said the ba'al doesn't really mean husband, but it means something else in this context. There's another line of Chazal that he's referring to that I didn't bring on the first page. Uh, But, but the, the, the crucial phrase here for me is batel ha-perush ha-rishon, which I translated here as the first interpretation is canceled. So I had thought that that was how to interpret the text, but I changed my mind. And why did I change my mind? Because it is impossible that the pshat and halakha can say something, two things that are contradictory. That cannot be the case. That's a simple uh, rule that Ibn Ezra has, that the pshat and the halakha cannot contradict each other. In fact, I learned from, uh, from Professor Simon's book about, uh, about, about Ibn Ezra that... Ibn Ezra just didn't like the idea at all of text having multiple levels of meaning. And here's a little section from a, uh, the text number five here is a little section of Ibn Ezra uh, in, in one of his grammar books, making fun of people uh, who have uh, different ideas about biblical uh, interpretation than he does. Uve Omro is talking about somebody, we don't know who this is. Yesh la pasuk amim. There, I've got ten different explanations for this verse. I can give you ten different explanations of this verse. Yitalel ben Ashol. That guy's so proud of himself. He thinks, thinks that it's wonderful. I can offer you ten interpretations of the same biblical verse. V'shamah ha-shomea gedulat ma'alat chokhmat ha-mefaresh. And said, oh, what a wonderful Bible commentator this is. He's offered me ten interpretations of the same verse Where did I get somebody as wonderful as this? V'hadavar hefech. But the opposite is true. Ki besumo ta'amim rabim lapasuk lo yeda ezei yichshar hazeh ozeh. You know, when you offer ten, then that it, it often means that you have, like, nothing to say about the verse. And, uh, and, and, and if, if you knew what the verse meant, you would tell us what the verse meant. 
and you wouldn't have to give us ten uh, uh, ten different explanations of the uh, of the verse. Uh, the nice allusion here to the uh, to a line from Kohelet. Some of you will uh, uh, recognize they say Yichshar Hosel, which uh, which one of the is the kosher one? Gam Yitachin Shaloy Chaber Beferusha Perusha Emet. And even with all ten of them, there's a good chance that he uh, never got the right one, even by listing the ten of them. And it's not uh, it's not useful. If I'm reading a commentary, it's to help me understand the verse, and when somebody gives me ten interpretations of the verse, they haven't helped me in the least, and they should be giving me one interpretation of the verse. And the rule is that he has, Ki kol mechaber sefer, navi haya o chacham, ta'am echad lidvarav. Because there is only one correct explanation. This is an amazing uh, statement that uh, most of us, I think, who, who have ever studied literature uh, would not agree with. And uh, there is only one correct explanation for the words of any author, whether he be a prophet or a sage. In other words, maybe when a fool says something, there could be more than one interpretation to it. But when a, somebody smart because... Uh, he or she is a prophet or a chacham, says something, then there is one correct interpretation for what they said. And so, so Ibn Ezra, in his looking for pshat, uh, is again also guided by this principle that if pshat and the rabbis are in contradiction with each other, he has to do something about it. Now, he doesn't always, for those of you who have studied some Ibn Ezra, he doesn't always cave as he did here. Sometimes he, he, he comes up with a, a method of saying that the, what the rabbi, and, and actually he's, he's using both methods here. He's caving him to a certain degree. He's saying, I've canceled the pshat. But he's also said that what Chazal said was an asmachta, that it's not really interpretation. Uh, it, because she'er, he just, she'er couldn't mean wife. But they're using that as an asmachta. They're using it as a mnemonic device to remember the halacha that says that a kohen goes uh, to his wife's uh, to, to his wife's funeral. But he's not satisfied with that because if verse four still meant that a husband can't go to his wife's funeral, then he's got a contradiction between halacha and pshat, and that's what, that's why he also had to cancel the pshat because they can't contradict each other. Okay, so that's uh, uh, approach number two, um, which ultimately here on this spot, it's not all that different from the approach of, uh, of Rashi, because in the end there is uh, uh, an abandonment of what, uh, of what Ibn Ezra had thought that Pshat was. Okay. Moving on to Ibn Ezra's uh, older contemporary, Rashbam, Rashi's uh, grandson. Uh, Rashbam, as he does, I don't know, somewhere between 25 and 30 times in his, uh, in his Torah commentary, he just says, uh, on a certain level, as my children sometimes say these days, deal. Just, you know, just accept it, but... Just deal with it, uh, and without explaining how you deal with it. Lo yitama ba'al ba'amav, even Rashbam writes, text number six, shum ba'al ba'am ha'kohanim lo yitama le'ishto. No husband from that group of kohanim should ever attend his wife's funeral, you know, this emphasis on shum is because he knows the distinction in Rashi and in the halacha, whether it depends whether it's ishtoha uh, muteret or not, uh, not muteret. Shum ba'al ba'ama koanim lo yitama le'ishto lehechalo, and lehechalo is not a description of uh, what kind of wife it is, but it is the result that would result. Shehare mitchalel mikahunato. Because if he did this, he would be desecrating his uh, his his kahuna if he went to this uh, to this funeral. And then he says, But according to Chazal, 
לא יתאמה לאשתו פסולה ומחוללת, אבל מתאמה לאשתו כשרה. But according to Chachamim, it depends. If it's a woman that he should have been married to in the first place, then he can go to her funeral. And if he shouldn't have been married, then he can't go to her, uh, to her, uh, he can't go to her funeral. Uh, Rashbam is willing to live, this is, as I said, this isn't the only example. There are 25 to 30 examples in his commentary on the Torah where he is willing to offer an interpretation and say, uh, this is what the Pshat says. And this is what the rabbis said. And it's X and minus X. They, they can't both be correct. You can't say that a Kohen should go to his wife's funeral and shouldn't go to his wife's funeral. If the verse said nothing, as you know, there are a number of Bible commentaries who say that actually this Baal does not mean husband in verse uh, 4. It, it's a distinct possibility that that's the case. And then there is no particular direct verse about a uh, husband. That, that, that is a way of solving it, but it's not the one that Rashbam said. Rashbam says that this verse means Shum Baal Ba'am Koanim. that no husband is allowed, no Kohen is allowed to go to his wife's, uh, to his wife's funeral. Um, and, you know, it, it does seem very, uh, very strange to us to think about the idea that, uh, I'm not a Kohen, uh, but uh, that, uh, that, that a Kohen would go to his, uh, his sister's funeral or his brother's funeral, but wouldn't go to, uh, to his wife's funeral. Uh, in our, it, in our society, it seems very, very, very strange to suggest uh, an idea like that. But it's possible, you know, it is possible that in the ancient world there were different uh, kinds, of, uh, kinds of feelings uh, uh, about, uh, uh, about the nature, uh, pardon me? No, I was thinking you shall me women did not go to their husbands. And you shall me women did not go, oh, well. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm saying yes. right. you said it could be uh, right. behavior. Yes, but they did go to their parents' uh, funerals. They went, but they didn't go to the, that's very interesting, that they didn't, they, they went to their, uh, the, to, they did not go to the, that's very interesting. So, uh, I, I remember many years ago when, when I read, uh, when I read the Antigone the first time, there was, there was this line at the end of the end, uh, for those of you who, uh, 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 know the story of the Antigone. The, the Antigone is the story of a, uh, uh, of a Greek woman named Antigone who, uh, broke the law of the king who said that, uh, that her brother who had been, or who was assumed to have been a traitor to the state, his body should be left and it should not be, uh, it should not be buried. And she went, and she knowingly went and broke the, uh, uh, broke the law and buried the uh, body of her uh, brother. It's a, you know, the, the classic story of civil disobedience. Uh, and uh, before she's put to death for this, she gives this uh, speech. I remember talking with one of my classics professors about this speech. She said, uh, you know, I would never have done this for any husband. <laughs> because... You know, if you lose a husband, you can always find another one. <laughs> but when you lose a brother, especially when your parents are dead, like mine, then it's a, you know, it's a permanent loss. I, I remember going to my classics professor and saying, what is this? And my classics professor saying to me that, it is distinctly possible that in the ancient world there were people who felt that the that blood relationships were more important than uh, you know I'm, I'm uh, a number of you know my wife I'm very close with my wife she's not my blood re- relative I have uh, I have many blood relatives but my wife is not my blood blood relative the question is whether you see uh, blood relations as being the most important form of uh, uh, of, uh, of relationship uh, and so is it possible? That that was what was reflected in this text here. Uh, so I, I just throw that out as a possibility before we move on to uh, to page number three. Please. Yes, of course, of course, he is. Uh, he has desecrated him, himself by doing that, and. Uh, 
So, you know, I was thinking about that, 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 that precise point that you made, because you might say that if he's desecrated himself already, then maybe he should go to the funeral also, because he's already desecrated himself. But the halacha says the precise opposite, that he goes to the, uh, he goes to the funeral of the one who didn't desecrate him from his kuna, but he doesn't go to the funeral of, of the one who did desecrate him from, from the kuna. So, so it, it, it didn't work. So, Rav Yosef Pachor Shor, uh, a younger contemporary uh, of, uh, of uh, Rashbam, uh, who also lived in uh, northern France, also one of the uh, Balea Tosfot from the uh, 12th century. I think that uh, I, I've collected a few examples of Rav Yosef Bukhor Shor doing this. Rav Yosef Bukhor Shor was, I think, the, the, uh, a commentator who worked very hard at trying on a local level to solve the tension between Pshat and Midrash. That when, when he saw, he was very interested in Pshat, and he, you know, Rashbam was just willing to write, here's the Pshat, it says X, and here's Halacha, it says minus X, and, and then says nothing further about how we're supposed to deal with that. Bahor Shor, I think, uh, makes more of an effort to try to uh, solve these issues. Text number seven. So he starts by, just by quoting Chazal and, and saying that the, uh, uh, a Kohen does go to his wife's funeral and it's as long as, that, uh, as, long as it was his wife that, who he should have been married to in the first place and not a wife who desecrated him from his, uh, from his kahuna. But now he feels that he has to uh, uh, find some other textual proof from within the text. Uchtiv uh, name. It also says there. This is back to the virgin sister issue here. So. What's it saying here? It's saying, let's say that I'm a Kohen, and I have a sister, and as long as she's single, I would go to her funeral. But now that she is married, I don't go to her funeral. Why don't I go to her funeral anymore? Because, yes, that's right. Because she has, she has a stronger connection now to her husband than she has to me as her brother. There's a textual proof here that that argument that I gave before from Antigone is not what the Bible thinks. The Bible thinks that the relationship between spouses is stronger than the relationship between siblings. The Bible disagrees with Antigone's speech there at the end of the Antigone according according to Rav Yosef Bukhor Shor. That I would have, if I was a Kohen, I would have gone to my sister's funeral if she wasn't married. But now she's got a stronger relationship than that sibling relationship that she had with me. We'll just read it inside. Here, Steve Name, Vela Chotoa Betula, Sherlo Haitala Ish, Ha Imaitala Ish, Lo Itamala, Kiim Baal Kovra, Umitamela, Vafilu Kohen. And uh, now, the halacha, this is, of course, the halacha. She married a Kohen, and, uh, and she died. Her Kohen husband would go, according to halacha, to her, uh, to her, Funeral. And now he says something nice about marriage. We're always happy to see people say something nice about marriage. There is no relationship that is closer than the relationship between a husband and a wife. There, no, I, it. it <laughs> Very. Uh, you think that it's a pun here? It does say kurva there, which which no, really just. Said kuvra, is it, is it, is it, 
Yes. So it's I think I think yes, that's so very good. You, uh, you know, I hadn't noticed that before, but I think Professor Liebson is right. I think there is a uh, an intentional uh, uh, pun here. Uh, I was told when I wrote something about this, I was told that in modern Hebrew we say kirva, we don't say korva. Nachon. Uh, uh, yes, uh, 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 but I quoted this, and then I used uh, Bechor Shor's language uh, talking talk about korva. They said they could, you could use that word in, uh, in medieval Hebrew, but you can't use it in, uh, in in modern Hebrew. There's no kirva. There's no relationship that's as strong as that. And I think that uh, I think you're right, Gidon, that there is that uh, that, that nice pun uh, uh, there. Yes, please. Maybe. Yes. I think that they assumed that uh, people were uh, compliant, uh, and uh, and if if she wasn't a virgin, it was for legitimate reasons that she wasn't a virgin. Okay. So we have had until now, just to sum up. Before we get into the uh, more radical nature of this, uh, uh, we, we, we've seen uh, we've seen various approaches. We see the approach of Rashi, who just says, you know, here's what Chazal said, and I'm going to read that and make that part of my understanding of what Pshat is. After that, we saw Ibn Ezra, who, you know, some people sometimes uh, claim that Ibn Ezra. This isn't the only time he does this. He tells me, you know. I would have thought the following, or I used to think the following, but I don't think that anymore. You know, when I uh, when I write something and I write, I used to think this way, and I don't think this way anymore. My wife, who edits everything that I said, said, "You know, that's why are you telling us what you used to think. You know, just you know, if, you, if that's what you think, that that's what you write. You don't have to write that. It's not an autobiography here. You know, it's, so, is there the possibility that he just wants you to know that that?" There is something to this. He does mention it. Is it possible that he's giving it some cover by mentioning it all? It is possible that he uh, that he's doing that. Rashbam, who just is happy to live with the tension between the text uh, and uh, uh, and halacha, even if they contradict each other, and Rav Yosef Bechor who demonstrates this. Uh, I think some of the best skills of harmonization that I have seen that there. There are a number of people in early modern times, like Malbim, who really get into the uh, into this methodology of trying to harmonize to show that actually the halacha is well connected to the pshat of the verses. I, my own uh, assessment, uh, Malbim, if there are any descendants of his in the room here, I apologize. I, th- I, I, I think the Rav Yosef Bechor Shor does it very uh, very well with uh, uh, with excellent. Uh, text reading skills that are not a stretch and I, I thought that this argument here uh, about his uh, about his sister was actually a uh, a rather strong argument pardon me yes Kabbalah is doing that all uh, all the time too trying to uh, trying to do that okay so the uh, the last approach that I'm going to be looking at uh, for the rest of the time that's left here is the approach of uh, Rabbi Shmuel, da- uh, of Shmuel David Lutzato. Uh, it's not really clear. I, said, uh, I started to say Rabbi Shmuel David Lutzato. It's not clear whether he got smich. He was the president of a... Uh, he was the head of a rabbinical school in Italy. He lived in Italy from eight, 1800 to 1865. And he was the head of a rabbinical school... But recently I read that he was offered smicha a number of times along the way and he turned smicha down. But he, he definitely was a uh, great Talmud Chacham and uh, important for the understanding of the continuation of this comment. He was a strong opponent of, uh, of Reform Judaism as anyone who ran a uh, rabbinical school in the 19th century, an Orthodox rabbinical school, uh, uh, was in uh, in the 19th century. Uh, he was a bit of a character. I, was, I, I only recently I read a little uh, poem that he wrote. He once got a letter from Rav Shimshon Rafal Hirsch, who wrote him a letter in German, and you know it would be kind of like if I 
we're sitting in Canada, and I decided to write a letter to uh, Rav Medan or somebody like that, and wrote to him in English. It just kind of assumed, which is against the pattern of, you know, when you write to a rabbi, when a rabbi writes to a rabbi, over the years, they write in Hebrew. And it's true that Shadal, as an educated person in the 19th century, knew how to read German. And so uh, Hirsch sent him a letter in uh, German. And uh, Shadal wrote back and put a little ditty at the top of the uh, letter that he wrote to Hirsch, which was written in Hebrew. Uh, and the ditty read, Malo lebaal igrot tzafon. What happened to the author uh, of the igrot of the 19 letters? Haniya ke Geiger or Holtheim? Did he become like Geiger or Holtheim, these reform rabbis? Shekatav leshadal belashon tzafon. That he wrote to Shadal in this northern language from German, Velo bisvat Yehuda Yerushalayim. I love that that uh, uh, that rhyme there of Holdheim, right? uh, Reform Rabbi Holdheim, and Yerushalayim. And that's, uh, what so, Shadal was a character, and uh, it was an... Uh, um, he has an approach to this uh, issue of Pshat and Midrash Halacha that is very different from the standard approaches that one finds uh, before his time. And uh, I I have to use a different uh, text to uh, illustrate this. Uh, And here's the text, the text number eight here. Shmot per kafal chiftach ishbor. When a person uncovers a pit or digs a pit and doesn't cover it, an ox or an ass falls into it. The one responsible for the pit must make restitution. He shall pay money to the owner and the dead animal will be his. Pardon me? Whose, precisely? That is the question. His, but it isn't quite clear. And so there's a discussion in the Gemara, but the standard halachic answer is the one that's provided by Rashi here. V'hamet lo, text number nine, v'hamet lo, l'nizak. Shamina ta'nevela v'nodla b'damimu m'shalem lo hamazik aleha tashlume nizko. The animal will be his. In other words, the person who suffered the damages will receive the animal. We estimate the value of the carcass. The animal was worth uh, 2,000 shekels while it was alive, and the carcass is now worth uh, 200 uh, shekels instead of 2,000. So the person who suffered the damages gets the carcass, and then he also gets the extra 1,800 uh, shekels. Uh, The person whose pit caused the damage pays money to make up for the rest of the value. Shadal says, V'hamet yelo. Okay, so this is another example. Rush Baum here says, you know, here's what Chazal said. Chazal said, V'hamet yelo l'nizak, but l'fiyap shad, V'hamet yelo l'mazik. So another place where uh, where Rush Baum offers you X and minus X, because he can't, can't say that they both get it. Either one explanation is the correct explanation, or not, and Rashbam just gives you both. But Shatal tries to solve it with a solution that some people will like and some people won't like. The person who causes the damage has to pay the full cost of the living animal, and then he gets to keep the carcass if he wants to keep the carcass. But that's, that's the shot. That's what Rashbam says, and Shadal says, that's what, uh, that's uh, what, uh, uh, is really the pshat, and that's what Rashbam said. Then, then he continues, Verazal, Veravoteno, Zichronam, Livracha, Hekelu al Hamazik, Veamru, Sheino, Chayav, Leshalem, Lo Kesef Mamash, Veachol, Leshalem, Lo Bechol, Davar, Rafilu, Subin, the rabbis, knowing that this was the pshat, they legislated 
a leniency for the mazik. Actually, the verse means what Rashbam says that the verse means. And when Chazal said, they weren't saying this qua interpretation. This wasn't their interpretation of this verse. This was their legislation of the uh, concerning the verse. So, Shadal suggests that when you find this tension between Midrash, Halacha, and, and this isn't the only example. If this was a class about Shadal, I could give you uh, a few dozen examples like this, where he suggests that that which we see as being Midrash, Halacha, he sees as being rabbinic legislation. And just uh, to see a, uh, a general statement that he made about the, uh, about the subject in the last uh, text here, number 11. The verse here in Vayikra uh, Perak Zayin is a difficult, uh, is a very difficult verse and it, uh, it caused Rashbam to write in his commentary on the, this verse, Chachamim akruhu mipshuto. The rabbis took this verse and they totally removed it from having anything to do with the pshat. And so, Shadal writes here, Kama shanim shayiti matmiya al-razal. For many years I've been wondering about the rabbis. Lama kedivrei rashbam akru hakatuv hazeh mipshuto. Why? You know, rashbam is right. That they took this verse, and what they said of this verse has nothing to do with the uh, with the pshat of this uh, verse. For those of you who are interested, it has to do with the rules of pigul, whether pigul is actually uh, thinking about eating something out of the right time or eating it at the uh, at the wrong time. The, the 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 pshat of the verse seems to be that actually the the, the food was consumed at the wrong time. But uh, Chazal said that the, that the original thought when the animal was slaughtered. So so why did they do this? Why did they, uh, when the verse seems to be saying, why did Chazal do this? Hayom, Purim, Tafresh Zayin. This is what Shadal's doing on Purim. He's sitting in there thinking about the tension between Pshat and uh, and Drash. Purim, 1847, he finally figured out what, how Chazal uh, uh, did what they did. Just today, Purim, 1847, I figured it out. The chain, uh, there's a little allusion in his language to Megillat Esther, so you see he did, uh, he was thinking about the past. Zachit Levin, Marau al Kacha. The chain, Bechol Makom Shenatu Razal Mipshat Haktubim. Whenever Razal, uh, whenever the rabbis offered an interpretation that isn't the Pshat, Einenu Ta'ut Shetau. It's not because they're not good Bible commentators. But it was because they were legislators and because they looked to see what the needs of the generation in which they lived were. And when they said this, they weren't saying that, you know, that that's really what the verse meant. They weren't doing it as interpreters of the text. They were doing it as legislators. And my favorite line from uh, Shadal's Torah commentary, how can you find reformers like them? You know, they, uh, these are the real reformers of Judaism, uh, the rabbis of the Talmud. He goes on, as I said, he was not a fan of reformed Judaism of the 19th century at all. And, but, and he makes this clear here. But their innovations, their legislation was based on deep wisdom, the fear of heaven, and the love of human beings. And they were not done for their own benefit or honor or to find favor in the eyes of flesh and blood, suggesting that the reformers of the 19th century were. Now, I, I, I still have uh, three minutes left. I just want to tell you uh, uh, the problem with Shadal's interpretation is that 
the kind of border between what is Doraita and Durabanan gets erased by this uh, by this understanding because a number of things that we consider to be Doraita suddenly become Durabanan uh, according to uh, according to his understanding unless you come up with a totally new understanding of what it means for something to be Doraita or something to be Durabanan. Uh, I didn't come here to solve the problem of Pshat and Drash, but just to present you with a number of alternatives, and I hope that uh, it was of some value.